Thank you, Dan. Good morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word. Make your way to the book of Ruth. Uh, We've been spending several weeks now here in Ruth, and uh, we'll, Lord willing, uh, finish our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ruth up uh, the Sunday prior to Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But we are in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, if you're using one of the Bibles uh, there at your chair, you'll find the book of Ruth on page 975. I'm sorry, not 975, 375, 375. I'm not sure what's on 975. I'm sure it's good, but it's not Ruth. Uh, So 375, Ruth chapter 2. Thankful for Michael, Faye, and Kim, and the others leading us in worship this morning thankful especially for that call to worship song, Uh, just so many wonderful truths uh, that we sang this morning. I'd like to just begin uh, by asking you kind of a bit of a response, not for you to respond, but for you to rhetorical question, right? What comes to your mind when someone comes up to you and asks you this question? All right, so think about what, what's kind of that first thought that comes to your mind when someone comes up to you and asks this. Hey, um, can I get a favor from you? Right? Well, what's, what's the first thing, again, just in your own mind, what, what comes to your mind when someone says, hey, uh, can I get a favor from you? Or can I ask you for a favor? Now, here are a few responses that we might consider. Some of us in here consider. Again, you don't have to raise your hand and, uh, uh, and admit to this, but these are some responses maybe some of us are prone to having. Some of us are quick to respond with a confident yes without any questions asked, right? Someone says, hey, can I have a favor? Can I get a favor from you? And some of us, without even thinking, yes. To those of you who respond in that way, I admire you. Others of us want to first know what the favor is, right? Others, we, we, we might say, well, hold on, right? Just a minute. So what is it that you're asking of me? We want to know what is the favor that is being requested of us. Many of us then might even follow that question up with, how long do you expect this is going to take? How much of my time will this be? Some of us uh, might respond based on the relationship that we have with someone, right? You know, if someone says, hey, can you, you know, can you loan me five bucks, right? Yeah, to a complete stranger that, yeah, okay, I, maybe I can loan you five bucks. Now, we probably don't ask questions if it's a longtime friend. Can, can you loan me five bucks? Sure, here you go, right? Now, if a complete stranger comes up to us and says, would you, can I ask you a favor? Would you be willing to loan me your car for a week? Well, it's probably a little bit. We're, not, we're a little more hesitant. As opposed to a friend who says, hey, could I borrow your car for a week? Yeah, sure, right? Yeah, certainly. Of course, some of us then, we might say yes whether it's we've thought it through or even just a confident yes, but some of us then will hold that favor as future collateral for a favor we might need down the road. Again, I'm not saying that these are right responses. I'm just saying these are responses that we tend to have. 
And so those of us who maybe hold a favor as future collateral for a friend, we then approach our need down the road in this way. Hey, uh, do you remember when I did you the favor last time? (laughs) And then we follow it up, well, I need a favor now. Now, when a person asks for a favor, uh, two things happen, right? When a person asks for a favor, two things happen. They admit their need. I need something. I can't do this on my own. I need something. They admit their need, and they also acknowledge that they have confidence that the person they're asking can help meet their need. They have confidence that the person whom they're asking can help meet their need. Okay, so now with that thought in mind, okay, so the, the, the title of the sermon, you might see it there in your, in your bulletin, is Seeking Favor. So with that thought in mind, I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and I want your ears to be listening, and I want your eyes as you're reading, following along there in your copy of God's Word, I want you to be listening and watching for a theme here. Okay, so now we find Naomi and Ruth, they have made it back to Bethlehem. We're going to see in chapter 2, chapter 2 actually really slows the narrative down, all right, because the author is wanting to highlight significant details of what is about to transpire. Chapter 1 covers about a 10 to 11 year period, all right, chapter 1. But now the author is going to really slow it down. In fact, chapter 2 is only going to cover about a 24-hour period of time. So, so we're really slowing this, the passage down. So with that thought in mind, follow along as I slowly read through this. Now, Naomi, Na- Naomi, now I was corrected on how I pronounced that. Okay, so just so you all know, some of you were concerned about how I pronounced Naomi. I was pronouncing it Naomi last week. That's because I came back from Texas, and that's how they pronounce it there. And in fact, in our staff meeting, I said, we're now going to pronounce Jesse's name, Jesse, is what we're going to do. So I was corrected. Forgive me for that last week. Naomi, E, Naomi, all right? Now, Naomi had a relative. You just had to be here last week, sorry. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab With Naomi, she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. 
she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done from, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Well, this morning, the big idea, this is the overarching theme for the sermon, is this, is that the Lord gives favor to those who take refuge in him. The Lord gives favor to those who take refuge in him. Now this may or may not put you at ease, but just so you know, I really don't have three points this morning. Uh, That could be a wonderful thing. You might think maybe we'll get out early. It could be a horrible thing because then I don't have points to keep me me in check. Uh, But we will see how the Lord works here. But we're really going to be flying underneath this banner this overarching theme of favor, that the Lord gives favor to those who take refuge in Him. Let's look again there at verse 1 as we make our way. We will travel more slowly in the first half of these verses, and then we'll pick up the speed uh, as we get about halfway and finish through the end. But we see here in verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. All right, the reader, as we are considering this passage, this narrative that's been recorded, this true narrative of a real person at a real time in a real place, right, we are made aware of this gentleman by the name of Boaz. All right, now Ruth... At this point in the narrative, in the storyline, Ruth does not, she does not know who Boaz is. She has never met him. She's not aware of his existence. Instead, the information in this verse, somewhat of a transition, right, of chapter one, all right, in the story writer as he's writing this, it's a transition now, and it's bringing us to a point to where the author is bringing Boaz to our attention for the purpose of of encouraging us, hey, keep out your your eyes for this man by the name of Boaz. All right, the information in this verse is included by the narrator for the readers, for our benefit. 
highlighting this important character to which the reader should pay attention to. It's a foreshadow of hope, similar to like them arriving back into town as the barley harvest was just getting started. Now we're told that it gets even better. Watch out for Boaz. Now it's also important for us to understand some Old Testament, uh, some, some Old Testament structure that God had put into place. You see, in the Old Testament, the families were to assist in caring for the needs of other family members who had fallen on hard times, hard or difficult times. And, and this care uh, that family members were to display for one another uh, sometimes included the paying off of debts that another family member had incurred. All right, And these relatives were instructed to assist in this way uh, to help pay off debts uh, in, in that individual, that person, was often referred to as a kinsman redeemer. We're going to be hearing more about a kinsman redeemer late as we go on here in the book of Ruth. But we see there's an obligation that family members had to take care of one another. You know, I even think of uh, just even standing up here, right? I think of Charles and Enos and how they have cared for their daughter, Sherry. Right in the passing of Sherry's husband uh, a year and a half ago, and how Sherry lived with them for a period of time. And there was a care that they took on, continuing to care for one another. What a, a beautiful picture that is. Well, keep in mind, so we have Ruth and Naomi who return back to Bethlehem, possibly with, with almost nothing more than just the clothes on their back, Maybe a couple pennies to rub together. Who knows? But, but they come back in, in need of people. And so what we see here is the narr- narrator, the author, bringing to our attention where it says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. There's hope now because these, these women who come back discouraged, Naomi who comes back with a heart filled with bitterness, again, we're reminded there's hope here. The mention of Naomi having of this Boaz being of the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, should give the reader hope. We see also that Boaz is described as being a man of standing. Or another way to say it is that Boaz is a man of outstanding character. Right? This is the type of guy uh, you, you want to run into. This is the type of guy that you want to be a member of. Of your family, right? This important commentary. Now, this this early remark here, just in verse one, is it tells us now: keep your eye out for Boaz as the story moves forward. I think this is also a helpful reminder to us that God is often at work behind the scenes of our lives, right? Be- again, like the, narr- the the author, he brings this to our attention, right? To help us see that, that even though the situation might seem very dire. And you might, your heart might be filled with bitterness or discouragement. Or maybe you're at the, you find yourself at the bottom of the barrel and you're just depressed. And you say, I have nowhere to go. This, this important detail tells us 
that God has not forgotten us. We often are tempted to view our situation simply through the here and now. And yet we should, we should ask God to remind us uh, that He sees our situation much, much differently. And that every event is moving forward in ways that are often unexplained and even misunderstood at times. So the author says, watch out for Boaz. And then we go on into verse 2. And it says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. That's the first use of that word favor. We can only imagine Ruth waking up the next day, right? After rolling into Bethlehem, maybe they got rolled in late and found a place to lodge. And and Ruth, uh, she... She calls it a day and falls asleep. And then the next day, Ruth wakes up the next day. And yet even in her grief, Ruth understands the importance of moving forward. Of moving forward. Uh, We're going to see there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from Ruth. And women, don't feel like I'm picking on you this week. There's not going to be a checklist that says, hey, how do you compare to Ruth? All right, there's no checklist. Don't worry, guys. We're going to talk about Boaz some next week and talk about his, uh, the godly man that he was, lessons for us. But I think there are several lessons that are worth mentioning uh, regarding from the life of, of Ruth. Uh, one lesson that's worth mentioning is that we're reminded of the love and honor that Ruth has for her and hear me on this, that Ruth has for her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. Right? Consider what Ruth has done. After the death of her husband, Ruth commits herself, right, that in, that, in that wonderful statement of faith that Ruth displayed as far as your God will be my God, your people will be my people, where you're buried, I too will be buried. Ruth is saying she is all in. There's no turning back. She believes in the, in the God of the Old Testament. But that also calls her then to action and to love her mother-in-law. Ruth has devoted herself to meeting the needs of her now deceased husband's mom. And to do the best that she can do to help fill that void in Naomi's life. And for Ruth, that meant that Ruth needed to leave her own family, her own friends, moving to another land as a despised foreigner. Right? Let's keep in mind, because this, this passage highlights that Ruth is from Moab, that she is not from here. She is not one of us. And why does Ruth do this? Out of love and concern for her mother-in-law. Later in the chapter, we're going to see where Boaz, where he points out uh, regarding Ruth, he says that all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you previously did not know there in verse 11. So we see here in Ruth's life, there's a great love, honor, and respect shown by Ruth toward Naomi. Now we have to understand the reality, right? When a person marries, they certainly marry, they're either their husband or their wife, but at the same time, 
they also enter into a relationship with their in-laws. And again, right now, right, swirling inside all of our heads are jokes about them being outlaws and whatnot, right? We, we understand, right, the, the tone that our culture tends to place on that sometimes difficult relationship between in-laws. But Ruth shows us a godly example of how to love your in-laws. Even just how to love your parents as a whole. And how we as followers of Jesus Christ should live differently than the rest of the world. And how we care for those who have cared for us in the past. Another lesson that we learned from Ruth also is how Ruth takes initiative. Right? The fact that is that Ruth and Naomi, they return to Bethlehem with very few, if any, possessions. Naomi herself, Naomi herself, she described it in this way at the end of chapter one. What did she say? She says, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. You almost sense she's just shaking her fist at God, saying, I have nothing to show for it. Right? Of course, not allowing Ruth, on the other hand, has a different approach. Ruth says, I'm not going to allow myself to be the honored guest at my own pity party. But and so what does Ruth do? Ruth chooses to take initiative. Ruth gets up out of bed and she informs Naomi that she is going to head out into the fields where the barley harvest is being brought in. Let's face it, it would have been easy for Ruth and Naomi to sit around and have their own pity party, right? It would have been easy for them to sit around and wait for the free handouts from the neighbors. I mean, it would have even sounded spiritual for them to even host a week-long prayer meeting and, and, and just to pray and say, God, provide for our needs, right? Asking the Lord to miraculously provide for them. I have no doubt that Ruth probably prayed that for God's provision, but we also see that Ruth also took action. She took initiative. And we notice here that what does she do? She heads to the barley fields, to the harvest fields, and you see in verse 2, it says, let me go to the fields and pick up what? Pick up the leftover grain behind, in any, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. All right? So in the Old Testament law, specifically in Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 23, then also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and you might even jot those down as well to read later, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy 24. But we see, what we see in those passages specifically as God is giving instructions to how his people are to live, how his people are to treat one another, what God does is God provides, he makes provision for the poor and the needy by establishing laws in relationship to the harvesting of crops. Right, the individual who was the harvester in those passages, the person who was out picking the grain, was told that he must not reap, that he must not harvest all the way into the corners of the fields. Nor was the person who was picking the grain or the harvester, nor was he allowed to go back through a field a second time to pick up what may have been dropped or left 
in the initial pass of the fields. Now, church, I grew up on a farm. Now, we didn't pick by hand. Praise the Lord, we had these big machines called combines that would pick all of the grain. But I can tell you this, the combine did not get all of the grain. And I'm not throwing my dad under the bus. He's sitting right here, right? Or under the combine. Maybe that's a little, right? right. But, but there were occasions where if dad knew that a lot of grain had, if, if ears of corn had kind of plopped over the, the, the header, right? The, uh, the side of the, of the grain, uh, the combine as it's, as it's harvesting, uh, sometimes we would go out and we would walk the fields again looking for the leftover for the corn that had been dropped, right? And so you'd kind of walk, walk the fields, and if you'd see uh, uh, some husk there on the ground, and if it looked like it was a little bit plump, you'd kind of step on it to see if there was an ear under there, and if there was, you'd reach down and you'd get it and throw it in your five-gallon bucket. And then you'd take it and feed it to, to the animals, right? Bill, you, you're probably familiar with that, aren't you? Yeah, and so I, I kind of envision what Ruth what this would have been like, but what God had done is he had purposefully instructed the harvesters in saying, leave the edges of the field, leave the corners, leave the leftovers that you may have dropped, leave it for those who don't have as much. By means of this, God was expressing the fact that he is concerned about the poor and needy among us. And that he wanted those who had been given the privilege of being the harvesters, he wanted those who had been successful in their endeavors of raising a crop, of recognizing that they too should be generous with the poor as God has been generous with them. That God was concerned for Naomi, for people like Naomi, and people like Ruth. Now we're, we're going to get a little bit of a taste of really the generosity of Boaz next week. But we see Ruth goes out into the fields with this understanding that this God whom she has believed in, has made provision for her. But it's not a free handout, is it? She has to take that initiative. Naomi and Ruth had faced a lot of difficulties in their lives leading up to this, but Ruth refused to lose faith in the God whom she determined to believe in and serve. Again, for Ruth, there's no turning back. And so on that morning, as Ruth decides to go in the fields, I can only imagine what Ruth may have said to Naomi. Right? She may have gotten up. Maybe Naomi's down there having her coffee, right? Kind of trying to figure out what to do for the day. And Ruth has already determined a plan. And she probably walks downstairs and she probably looks at Naomi. And she probably says, Naomi, do you know what we are? And Ruth looks up from the paper and her cup of coffee. She says, I don't know. What are we? Naomi probably says, Naomi, we're poor. That's what we are. She follows that up, though. And she says, but there is still hope. Because there's opportunity for poor people like us. She may have even reminded, maybe Naomi at some point in time had taught her this as they, as they probably studied scripture, I have no doubt. But Naomi then even, may have even reminded, or Ruth may have even, even reminded Naomi that the law says that poor people may go into the field and pick up enough grain to eat. 
And maybe Ruth says something like, I'm going to trust that, God's, that God loves us enough to provide for us, for our good, and that this is the right thing to do. And then what does Naomi do? She says, go on, my daughter. Oh, we don't know exactly why Naomi didn't join her in this effort. We can certainly speculate. The fact of the matter is, is that it's Ruth who goes out. It's in, in verse 2 then, there's an interesting word. It's that word favor. What is she looking for? We read how Ruth is trusting that she will find herself in a field of a farmer or a landowner who is going to show favor to her. Ruth understands she has a need. She's hungry. She recognizes that God has put it in place, that there's opportunity, that that God has made provision for someone who finds herself in her state. And in faith, by faith, she leaves the house and sets out toward toward the barley field. I've already mentioned it, but favor really is a primary theme in these verses. Verse 2 introduces the theme to us, and then we see favor again mentioned, as I highlighted in my reading, that we see favor again mentioned in verse 10 and verse 13. The word favor conveys a sense of acceptance or preference. It depicts a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to another person who has a need. A similar word that we find ourselves using often is the word grace. There's a favor or a grace that Ruth is seeking and that she's confident she will indeed find. Verse 3. So what does Ruth do? So she went out. Verse 3. Follow along with me as I continue. It says, so she went out. She entered a field and she began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to who? Boaz. Okay, now this should get our attention, right? Because in verse 1, it already brought this guy to to our attention. So we need to be looking out for this guy by the name of Boaz. Here he is. She she finds herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. It's in these verses that we, we see the convergence of humility and favor, right? In order for Ruth to experience the favor of Boaz, she must first have the humility to acknowledge her need. As well, we see the convergence of Ruth's plans and God's providence. We see how, how her humility and favor come together there in that field. We see how the, the convergence of her plans Naomi, I'm going to go out and and, and go walk behind the harvesters. And yet we see how God is working behind the scenes of it all. Gleaning in this day was hard work. All right, they didn't have air-conditioned combines to, to sit in. Instead, it was hard work. It was hot work. It wasn't necessarily a safe place either. And we get this sense as Boaz gives some instructions to his workers. It wasn't necessarily a safe place. Uh, not every landowner was obedient to the Old Testament law, right? And especially, it may have been dangerous for a, for, for a foreign woman, someone like Ruth, who had no connections, who would have no one that if she found herself being taken advantage of by one of the workers, she would have no one to call out to for help. We see that there's a vulnerable humility with which Ruth enters into the field. And what is she hoping to find? Favor. Church, we will never find God's favor 
if we fail to have humility. Those who experience God's favor are those who are willing to recognize their great, deep need. And so unknown to her, Ruth happens to stop in a field owned by Boaz. Okay, they didn't have address signs. There wasn't like a sign as soon as Ruth steps outside of the, of the doorway of wherever she may have been lodging. There wasn't a sign that said like Boaz's field this direction. Right? Instead, she's just she's walking along. And this is how this passage phrases it. All right, see, so we're there in, in verse 3. Uh, it says, so she went out, entered a field, and began to, to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, okay? She just, right, the, the passage itself, the phrase kind of make, it kind of says, as it turned out, right? But the Hebrew in this phrase literally reads, she happened to a happening. She happened to a happening, right? It seems that there's an emphasis placed on the unlikeliness of, of, of Ruth ending up in Boaz's field. You see, some might be tempted to think that it was mere coincidence or simply good luck that Ruth shows up in Boaz's field. But as we consider the entire storyline, it becomes very clear that God's hand, his providence, his plan were throughout it all. She shows up in the field. At this point, Ruth doesn't know whose field she's in. She just starts to reap. She just starts to go behind the, the harvesters, right? And it's there that Ruth's plan converges with God's providence. It's wonderful how, how God often uses our plans and his providence to bring about his perfect will, and we see this taking place. I think this also should be a wonderful reminder to all of us. Again, let me reiterate it, that God's quiet hand is always working. It is always working. It's always moving. You see, God's plan doesn't always take on the form of the miraculous, but instead God's plans and his hand weaves its way through the ordinary activities of our lives. What Ruth was doing was not a miraculous endeavor. She was just going about the ordinary task of finding food to put on the table. And yet we're reminded how our daily and seemingly mundane actions carry out God's perfect plans. Think about that. Right, there's, right, in God's, in the scheme of things with God, really there's no ordinary action. It's all working to fulfill God's plans. So Elizabeth Jenkins, when you go and clean that house, in some way, it's fulfilling God's plans. Right, Bill Thomas, when you go and fill out that lumber order and you greet that customer, in some way, God is using you to fulfill his perfect plan. Spradlin, when you go and you help someone get a mortgage, Refinance a house? I, it seems very mundane, doesn't it? But yet in that, our plans and God's wonderful hand of providence are coming together 
fulfilling out a, a beautiful picture. And we just think, ah, it's just another day at the office. But it's not, is it? There's more to it. Verse 4. Let's keep moving, all right? The clock is ticking. Verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. All right, so now here Boaz is. She's in his field, and guess who just happens to show up, right? It happened upon happenings. Boaz, not, on, not only is she in his field, but Boaz often arrives. And check out this greeting. Like, wouldn't you want to work for Boaz? What does he say? He says, he greets his workers with this way. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. What a greeting. And I thought about even how we greet one another. I think about these, these students, right? How do you greet each other, right? Maybe you have a secret handshake. I'm not going to try to be youthful, okay? But, but maybe you're like, sup, right? I, I mean, those, those are like words. Okay, so I just did try to be youthful, right? So right, right, we, we, we greet one another with such tr- in, tr- in such trivial ways. Boaz greets his workers with a, with a blessing. The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you, they answered. So here, here is Boaz. Not only is she in his field, but the man himself that we should be keeping our eyes peeled for, he shows up. It's no coincidence. Boaz arrives to the field. He greets his workers with a blessing. His workers respond also with a blessing. And then in verse 5, Boaz, he notices that there's someone in his field that he didn't recognize. Verse 5, Boaz asks the overseer of his harvesters, he says, who does that young woman belong to? Boaz goes on to inquire about the unfamiliar woman who is gleaning in his field. The attention of Boaz, we see, has been distracted from the harvest and is, and is now caught up by Ruth. And we see the way in which Boaz asks the question is interesting, isn't it? He says, who do, he doesn't say, who is she? But in a sense, in a very real way, he says, whose is she? Right? What, the way in which Boaz asks the question is that he's inquiring if she is married or if she's still living in her father's home. You see, in this culture, it was expected that a woman would have a man, a father, a brother, or a husband in her life who would serve as her protector and also help provide for her needs. And so what Boaz is basically asking is, he is saying, who's, who's looking out for this unfamiliar gal who's harvesting, who's gleaning behind my harvesters? He's saying, who's her father? Who is her husband? Whose brother is she? Honestly, it's a very, like, some of us, again, we're so, we can be so influenced by this culture, right? We hear this, and, you know, sometimes our cackles, right? We think, how, how dare he, you know, say something like that? Such a patriarchal statement. What pride. We, we tell ourselves, but really, this is, is, a, is a loving and caring question. It expresses concern that he has. Who's watching out for her? Who's helping provide for her? And it turns out that no one is. At least, not at this point, and not from the perspective of the harvesters. But we're going to see, especially starting next week and the weeks following, that God has guided Ruth to a man who will fulfill that role. Again, we see how God's hand is moving, 
right? The widow, Ruth, is having her prayers answered in ways that she had never anticipated. She thinks, right, let me go out and find someone who will give me favor and allow me to harvest. And yet God's plans are beyond anything that Ruth ever anticipated. Verses 6 and 7 then, the overseer replied, replied, and we'll start to speed up here a little bit. The overseer replied, he says, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, so this is Ruth asking the harvesters. She's saying, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter, the the probably the foreman in charge, the supervisor of the other harvesters whom Boaz had left to oversee the harvest, he he gives Ruth a, a compliment. He says she has been out there working hard. She's been out there all morning. Sure, she took a little bit of a rest, a little bit of a break, but then she got right back at it. And so Boaz then, now the scene shifts to Boaz going and speaking to Ruth. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. What is taking place? Is Boaz, his heart, his generosity, The love that he has for his God now overflows in the love that he he shows for other people. And keep in mind, Ruth is not one of them. At least from their understanding. She is because she's believed. Verse 10. At this, Ruth For she, Ruth, bowed down her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? What? A foreigner. You shouldn't be noticing me. I'm not from around these parts. But yet you do. In verse 11, Boaz replied, He says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. This is an important line here. Maybe you want to underline this. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, in that, in that line there, in verse 12, Boaz is answering Ruth's question there in verse 10. The question that she asks is, why are you showing me favor? I'm a foreigner. Why would you do this? Boaz, his, he, he doesn't say, well, because I'm a gentleman, because that's how my dad taught me, right? That's just what we do. What does he do? He looks, he, he puts it, all, he gives, he's given God all the glory here. And he is saying the reason why you have found this favor is because you have sought to take refuge in God. That's why Boaz recognizes that all he is, is a conduit of God's grace, 
of God's favor. And then in verse 13, Ruth says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. You see, it's through Boaz that God is showing His favor to Ruth. And the reason why God shows His favor to Ruth is because Ruth has turned to trust in God. Unlike Naomi, who instead, rather than trusting in God, went to try to set out on her own way, Ruth comes back with her, trusting fully in the Lord. Church, hear me on this. God never tires of giving His favor to those who take refuge in Him. It's going to be a little bit of an abrupt stop because we're going to continue on next week. But what we see is how God's hand of favor is being shown on Ruth because she has put herself underneath the shadow of God's, uh, God being her refuge. All right? it's, it's this idea of making God my refuge and underneath that shadow. It's like a young child who's in need. Instead of running to a complete stranger, right? Have you, maybe you remember, you, we, we've all had those moments where maybe we're in a crowd and we find ourselves grabbing up for the hand of a complete stranger, right, when we're little, you know, or maybe as a parent, right, someone else's child thinks we're their parent, and they come up and start grabbing, and they're like, wait a second, you're not mine, and they're like, oh, I'm not under the shadow of my parent, right, you're not, right, it's, it's that idea, it's that comfort that we have, as you think of yourself as a child, that when a child is in need, they return to their, their mom or their dad, who they have confidence is then going to provide for them. Who's going to do almost unlimited favors to show their love for their child. And so that verse, verse 13 is really, is very, is, is really important because that's the reason why Boaz is showing favor to Ruth because Ruth has sought the refuge of God. A couple verses I want you to uh, meditate on this week. First one is all of Psalm chapter 91. The whole chapter. Right? It talks about when a person makes God their refuge. You go down. Alright? So Psalm 91. We won't read it all. We won't read it this morning. Psalm 91. We'll jot that down. Another one. A few others that I've put up here on the screen for you. Again, it gives us this idea of taking refuge in God, finding his favor. Uh, Psalm 57, 1, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. <laughs> When's the disaster going to pass? When Jesus returns. So don't find yourself outside the shadow of his wings. Psalm 84, 11 then, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. This idea of him being a refuge, a safe place for us. The Lord, what does the Lord bestow? The Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Do you believe that? Psalm 90:17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So as we kind of think about this, this, this reality, this idea that God gives favor to those who take refuge in him, to those who are like the child who huddles up and, and, and recognizes that this is the safe place. This is the place of provision under the shadow of a parent, under the shadow of the wings of God. Again, let me just say, when we recognize that we need to get under that shadow, a couple things happen in our own lives, and I've already mentioned them. We acknowledge our need. Sadly, we live our lives, our daily lives, failing to truly acknowledge how much we need the Lord. Because we've, we've, we've got, we've, we feel as if we've got it all. And I don't need to trust in him. But my challenge, my encouragement to us is to truly come and to acknowledge and to say today, Lord, help me to acknowledge how much I do need you. And then to go to the Lord, make him our refuge and believe that he can provide. And what this ultimately does is it turns our hearts away from whatever difficult situation we might be experiencing. It turns our hearts away from that and it turns our hearts toward the Lord. We find ourselves being drawn even more into God as our refuge. We find ourselves huddled under the shadow of His wings, trusting in the Lord more and more. So this week, I'll challenge you several ways. To ask for and seek the Lord's favor. That means you have to acknowledge that you need him. And that you don't have it all together. And to go to the Lord and say, God, in this situation or in this area of my life or I have this need, God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to set out and I'm going to take that initiative just like Ruth. But God, I'm going to ask that in my plans of seeking favor, that your good hand of providence will meet me there and that you'll provide. So I want to encourage you, ask ask for the Lord's favor on your life and in your situation. And what about this? Ask that God also would give favor to someone else. Is there someone within this church congregation who you know is going through a difficult time or is finding themselves in a season of need? And say, God, I'm, pray- I'm going to pray for so and so. And I'm going to pray, God, that you would show them your favor. So ask for the Lord's favor on your own life. Ask for the Lord's favor on another person's life. And the third one is this. Look for ways that God might use you to carrying out his favor in another person's life. Because ultimately, that's how Boaz saw his situation, his circumstances. That's how he saw this opportunity. 
Why, Boaz, have you shown me such favor? I'm a foreigner. I don't deserve this. And Boaz says, oh, because you have taken refuge in the shelter of his wings. Church, one final verse is this. Is that ultimately God's favor is seen in the gift of salvation. We see the Apostle Paul writes it for us here. He says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, and this is taken from Isaiah, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And then in the day of salvation, I helped you. Look what Paul then continues. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What's the greatest display? What's, what's the greatest favor that God has done for us? He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Giving us, the outsiders, welcoming us in under the refuge. He's the refuge under the shadow of his wings. And like Ruth, we don't deserve this. But by faith in that, and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that favor then is given to us. And Paul in Scripture reminds us, when should we take full advantage of that favor? Today. Don't wait any longer. So if you've not done that, Take full advantage. It's, it's like, it's like a, a, a good deal, right? How many of you love taking advantage of a good deal at a restaurant or at a store? It's like a buy one, get one, right? All this stuff, right? We take advantage of all these worldly good deals and we miss up the greatest good deal, the greatest favor that's been, that's been offered to us. And that's the gift of salvation. Would you just pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, now for your word God, I pray and ask that your spirit would be moving in our hearts. And I pray for those who have yet to trust in Jesus and the gift of salvation. God, that today would be the day in which they receive your favor in this way. That they would humble themselves, that they would admit their need, and that they would trust and believe that you are able to meet that need of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so, God, I just pray for those here, God, that they would move in that way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.